The Lead from the Heart podcast is sponsored by Mitel Networks, a Canadian-based telecommunications company with offices all around the world. Mitel's goal is to create a company culture that inspires courage, empathy, and kindness, and it seeks to be part of the global movement to build humane workplaces where people want to come and do great work. Mitel is also very proud to be the sole sponsor of this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about them, find them at mitel.com forward slash Mark. Hello, everyone. This is Mark C. Crowley, and you're listening to the Lead from the Heart podcast. Today, we're going to diverge from our normal path and talk about aging. And by the end of this episode, my hope is that you'll not only end up feeling more positive about getting older personally, but that you'll also realize that our basic assumptions about the physical and mental decline that accompanies the aging process are patently false. Getting older doesn't have to suck, and as much as we fear it, people don't really lose all of their marbles when they reach their 50th, 60th, or even 70th birthdays after all. My guest today is Yale University social psychologist, Becca Levy, who has done research so remarkable. Wharton professor Adam Grant says her conclusions will shatter many of our dark assumptions about aging. Her new book, Breaking the Age Code, debuted as an Amazon number one new release and will be the focus for our conversation. For starters, Becca points to Japan as being a country where older people are revered and as a nation where there's no stigma attached to having thinning or graying hair or wrinkles on one's face. In Western countries, and especially in the United States, however, our attitudes on aging are very different. We revere youth and invest billions of dollars every year in treatments and surgeries to fend off the inevitable. And as a hint at which way of treating aging works best, people in Japan live longer than any other nation on earth. If we tell ourselves all the time that we look old and associate those thoughts with loss, decline, and other demeaning stereotypes, Levy's work also proves this kind of negative thinking actually backfires. She's discovered that people with the most positive views of aging actually outlive those with the most negative beliefs by seven and a half years. According to the World Health Organization, ageism is the most widespread and socially accepted prejudice in society today. And Levy has found that individual productivity, especially in intellectually challenging work, does not tailspin as we age despite all we've been told. According to her book, our media bombards us with messages that reinforce the negative narrative about aging and have us all bought into the idea that workers should be farmed out and retired once they've passed their prime. Across the world and for the first time in human history, there now are more people aged 64 and over than under age five. And as we live longer, all of us, many of us will want to work longer. We therefore need a new view of aging that embraces the natural order of life. And Becca Levy joins us now to tell us that being positive about the aging process is in everyone's highest interest. And with that, welcome to the podcast, Becca Levy. Thank you. Great to join you. Well, I've been looking forward to this. So your book zeroes in on a few major themes that I'm really interested in discussing with you. One has to do with how Western society views aging very negatively, and another relates to ageism in our workplaces and how counterproductive that is. 
And then finally, this was the big surprise. You have some rather compelling research that proves that our mindset on aging in relationship to ourselves has a direct impact on our lifespans. So I'm really interested in digging into all of these. And I want to start from the top. You write that Japanese people live the longest in the world and also have a tradition of respecting and honoring older people. In America, where I am, where you are, we have a highly negative view on aging and almost treat getting older as being shameful. So let's start there. What explains the great disparity in cultures? And if you want to weigh in, which one gets it right? Yeah, so that's a great question. And actually, the difference between those cultures is what started me in my line of research and studies. So actually, when I was in graduate school, I had the opportunity to visit Japan on a fellowship. And the fellowship allowed me to look at why it is that Japan has the longest lifespan in the world. And what I noticed, as you mentioned, is that Japan treats their oldest members very differently than what I had been used to seeing in the United States. And particularly what I noticed is there was a reverence of older people. There was a celebration of aging. So for example, older people are on televisions, so centenarians and super centenarians who are 110 and older are treated like rock stars on television shows. And there's actually a national holiday celebrating older people. So there's also, I think one of the qualities that also I noticed is there's a lot of intergenerational contact, a lot of Families live together of a lot of different generations, and that gives an opportunity to learn from the generation to learn from each other. So there were a lot of qualities of the culture that I thought might contribute to their longer lifespan. And then I followed this up with research and found that indeed, these differences in age beliefs, and particularly when we take in more positive age beliefs, it can have a benefit on a number of health outcomes, including longevity. So you're saying that when you're in Japan as a graduate student, you had the intuition that because Japanese culture reveres older people, treats them like rock stars, and that inter-age connection that you describe, that you anticipated that that would lead to longer lifespans, like you did that on your own? Exactly. So I think all of those factors contribute to a more positive age belief that these more positive messages about getting older in Japan. And yes, and so what I've found in my research are those qualities of more positive age beliefs bring about benefits, no matter what country we live in. And also you ask which country gets it right. And so I think those qualities are more prevalent in Japan that foster positive age beliefs. But we also know that it's possible to generate those positive age beliefs wherever we're living. So it's something that we can actively work on in any country, which I think is a good message from the research. Well, you know, across the world and perhaps the first time in human history, there are now more people over the age 64 than under the age of five. So that's a statistic that you wrote and had me asking, like, would you think that those demographics would alter American society's view on aging? Like if we're leaning into aging, wouldn't you think that we would start to say, hey, maybe we ought to have a little more reference for the aging process instead of trying to deny it or refute it or color our hair and change our physical aspects in order to make ourselves look younger. Are they doing that in Japan, by the way? That's a good question. I don't know how it compares. I think there is some, but maybe less so. But your observation is a good one that you would think with the increasing numbers of older people that that would 
naturally lead to more positive age beliefs. And actually, that led me to something that I've written about called the stereotype paradox, which is the idea that one could predict that age beliefs would become more positive over time. But unfortunately, the reverse is what we have found in our research, that at least in the United States, it appears that age beliefs have become more negative over time, even with the increase in the size of the older population, which as you pointed out, should lead to better views of aging in part because there's more opportunities for intergenerational contact, which we know is good for promoting positive age beliefs. And you would think that there would be sort of a natural empowerment of a bigger group of older people. But unfortunately, in part, I think because we take in the age beliefs at a really young age, so starting at as young as age three, before they're relevant, we take in a lot of the messages about aging of our culture, and they tend to be reinforced over time. So unless we develop the skills to question some of the negative age beliefs and strengthen the positive age beliefs, we inherit some of those early messages of our culture. So, so far, it doesn't appear that there's been a big shift in um, beliefs about aging, but I think it's possible. So again, I, I think these beliefs aren't set in stone and we know people of any age can shift the age beliefs. So I think the larger group of older people could bring about a faster improvement in age beliefs, which would be great. So makes me wonder... And I don't know how to classify them. Let's just say older or younger. Just keep it binary. Are older people having a worse time with age or are younger people having a worse problem with age? I don't know if that's a clear enough question. It's really this stereotypical paradox that you're talking about that mm -hmm. is really confusing, right? I mean, we should be leaning into more of an acceptance. Instead, we're going the other way. My question is, who's having the bigger problem? Well, so what I've found in my research is there's quite a bit of difference in age beliefs that we tend to notice in different cultures. So different cultures tend to promote different meaning around aging. But within a culture, there's often agreement across the generations. So often in a culture that has more positive age beliefs, we see that the younger generation and the older generation are, are taking in sort of similar messages that are more positive. And the reverse, unfortunately, is also true that in a culture that has more negative messaging around aging, that we see similar beliefs that we see in advertisements, social media, and stories within that culture. So across the cultures, we actually see pretty similar age beliefs for the most part. So we haven't really explained why there's such a big gap between, we'll talk a minute about some of the other countries and see whether or not they differ. But for now, what really explains the difference between America's, America's big problem with aging and Japan's reverence for aging? How do you explain that? Yeah, so I mean, I think there are aspects of the Japanese culture that promote positive age beliefs. So for example, one of the things that I looked at for the book was I worked with this talented young woman in Japan and we compared children's stories in the different cultures. And she came across a number of fairly popular children's stories in Japan that have these wonderful portrayals of older characters in a way that they're thought of as these fun, loving action-oriented, you know, heroes in these stories. And if you contrast that to some of the stories that are popular that children are exposed to in the United States, there's often not those same portrayals. So for example, I 
one of the first stories I remember learning as a kid was Hansel and Gretel stories. Mm-hmm. I knew you were going to say that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but the, yeah, so it features this older woman who fattens up the children so she can eat them. So, I mean, I remember just being really scared when I, when I read this portrayal of this older woman, you know, so she's basically a cannibal and yeah. And it, so it's just this, I don't know why that portrayal was put in that story and why that's a popular story to tell to children and, you know, in Western cultures, but there is just this strong difference in messaging that we see in different cultures. So that certainly is one of the sources. And then as we talked about, there's also more dynamic factors such as how intergenerational the cultures are. So we know Japan tends to be fairly intergenerational, but the United States has gone from being one of the most age-integrated cultures to one of the most age-segregated cultures. And I think that also is a source of some of this negative messaging around aging. Intentionally? Have we intentionally gone to yeah, become I mean, more segregated? What's motivated the change? We used to be more intergenerational, and now we're the least intergenerational. What's causing that? Yeah, I mean, so one factor I think that's changed over time is some of the negative messaging from advertising and the growing Mm -hmm. anti-aging industry. So we know that that industry has become this multi-billion dollar industry that profits from negative messaging around aging, which profits from increasing fear around aging. So I think, you know, that is one of the sources that's led to more age segregation. As I was reading your book, something popped into my mind around the differences between generations in terms of it used to be that you turned 65 and you were farmed out you know you you went off and you retired my father did you know he had like a 42 year career with general electric very senior level guy but the day he turned 65 it's like he just shut it all off and played golf for the rest of his life and so i think as people are getting older they're realizing, well, wait a minute, I'm like nothing like that. Like, I'm young, I feel young, I'm healthier, I have a longer lifespan. But then the odd juxtaposition is you remember what the only frame of reference you have is your parents. And when they turned 60, 65, 70, they were old. So does that play into this too, just in terms of, because like it's cognitive dissonance, like I'm 55 or I'm 60 or whatever, and I don't feel old at all, but the world's telling me I'm old because that's the way we've always treated it. Right. Yeah. So I think, yeah, you're definitely picking up on a phenomenon that's problematic in our culture. So, I mean, we know that from studies that there's a lot of age discrimination in the workplace, as you mentioned at the start of the show. And we know that people are often not hired in later life and they're often let go in later life when they really want job opportunities. So, and, you know, it's illegal to discriminate based on age in the workplace, but it is pretty common. There was a study that I saw that said that 67% of workers, older workers describe observing or experiencing ageism in the workplace. So it's unfortunately is pretty common. And I think that messaging harms the workers who want opportunities to continue working or or start a new line of work. And it hurts the companies as well, because we know from research that there's this negative age belief that older workers aren't as effective in the workplace. But we know from the science that's actually not true, that there's studies that show that older workers tend to miss fewer days at work. They tend to have a stronger work ethic. They tend to often 
be innovative and, you know, bring experience to the workplace. So there's benefits for the, and they also teams that include workers of different ages tend to be more productive and more innovative. So there's a lot of benefits for companies to open up opportunities for older workers. And I think benefits older workers and also the younger workers. Well, I mean, you've just overturned a lot of mythology, right? I saw something that said, you know, like in the technology world, when you get to be 40, your career is over, which is preposterous, of course. But somebody who's 50, 55 that lost their job during the, you know, the COVID era or even in the Great Recession, you know, we know that those people had a very, very difficult time getting another job. In fact, we saw record numbers of baby boomers retire during COVID. And it was because they sort of thought this is just sort of a hopeless cause. But what you're saying is that people actually are quite productive and they're not feeble and they're not, you know, geriatric in the most negative sense. How do we get that message across in business? Right. Yes, you're right. And I've seen that too, that during COVID, it seems like the amount of ageism in the workplace has perhaps increased. And you're asking, how do we get the message out that there's benefits to companies to retain and hire older older workers. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, I, I, mean, I think that's a big barrier. This wasn't accidental. And by the way, you know, there's plenty of evidence that companies let go of their oldest people during this. Right. So if they had to let some people go through layoffs during COVID, you know, in the early days when it was ambiguous as to how long it was going to last, companies sat down and said, okay, we're going to have to do some layoffs. And there's a lot of evidence that suggests that older people were let go before anybody else was. So that's sort of like we're going to to cut off the animals that aren't going to make it through the journey here, which is completely contrary to the stats that you just offered. Right. Yeah. And I think you're pointing out something that's incredibly important. I think the workplace, it's a microcosm of the bigger society of some of the negative messaging that can harm older individuals, but also society. And you ask how we can get the word out that that's sort of a harmful message that older workers are less effective or get the word out that older workers can you know, make a meaningful contribution, be quite effective. And I mean, that's actually one of the reasons that I wrote the book is I think we're at a tipping point that would be really great to increase the knowledge and the momentum to overcome some of this negative messaging. I have thought about how you know the campaign to reduce smoking was very successful by showing the harm that smoking can do to our health and, you know, actually showing pictures of people and figures of the damage it can do. And so we have research now that shows all the ways that these negative messages can harm our health and can harm aspects of our society. So Maybe there could be some kind of campaign that's designed in a similar way to the anti-smoking campaigns that were successful in many countries. All right. So I'm uh, I'm yeah. a party of one putting you in charge. Yes. Okay. <laughs> right. You good. have to launch this initiative because <laughs> what, we're going to get to this in a minute, Becca. But, you know, when you think about it, it's like I can't think of you as being old and then attributing all kinds of negative attributes to you being old and somehow be able to not apply those same attributes to me as I age. Right. So it's actually the idea that we are marginalizing people in the workplaces because we think they're going to be less productive, this is the bottom line, is actually harming ourselves because it gives us a self-belief that we're less productive, which then self-fulfills. 
Yes. Exactly. Yeah, I think you're exactly right about that. And so, so for younger people, it's their future self. So there is a benefit to themselves to shift age beliefs from more negative to more positive. So we have one study that I did that found that younger people who have well, we can say it either way, but who have had more positive age beliefs, who've taken more positive age beliefs from their culture, they're half as likely to have a cardiovascular event when they turn 60 as somebody who's taken in more, more negative age beliefs. So there's definitely evidence that these early age beliefs that we take in can have an impact on our own health as we get older. So only because this whole podcast is devoted to the heart and in leadership, you have to pin that down. So you're saying that one's negative beliefs about their own aging could contribute to heart ailments, heart attacks, strokes, those kinds of things? Yes. Yeah, so as they get older, these negative beliefs about aging, so they could be negative beliefs about aging in general. So they may not yet apply them to themselves as younger people. We found that as people become older, that's when the age beliefs actually have an impact on one's own health. So when one starts to be labeled by others as older, start to think about yourself as older, and that can be different ages for different people. And you mentioned 65 earlier. So that is one age that people associate with making the shift to be thinking about themselves as older. But when that happens and people are thinking about themselves as older than these age beliefs that they took in in younger age, as young as age three, but then you know, we keep on getting the messages as we get older. When they become older, right, those same age beliefs can influence their own health in very meaningful ways. That it affects the heart is stunning to me. But in the, um, I think in the late 60s, early 70s, the Beatles sang a song when I'm 64 and Mick Jagger, mm-hmm. Mick Jagger at one point said, you know, I'll tell you one thing, I won't be singing Satisfaction when I turn 50. And they're both <laughs> 80. You know, I saw, I saw Paul McCartney uh, right before COVID. And he played for over three hours and it was stunning. Like he was completely physically fit. His voice sounded like it did, you know, since we all grew up with it. And I'm like, how are we not getting this? How are we not assimilating the fact that people aren't old when they're, you mentioned 65. 65 was the age when people were supposed to say, I've worked, I don't have much left. You know, I'm going to retire now and, you know, go boating and play shuffleboard and whatever cliches there are. But now, like, these guys are still performing and we're looking at them and we're not acknowledging that they have different views of aging. They've shifted. How come we haven't? Right, right. And so I think it takes some active tools or active exercises, I think, to overcome these years and years of negative messaging that you know many of us have received about aging. And also, I think I know from my research that often these age beliefs can operate implicitly or without our awareness. So mm-hmm. to overcome some of the negative messaging about aging that we've taken in, it really involves being proactive and becoming aware of our own age beliefs and the age beliefs around us, and then actively working towards shifting and strengthening our positive age beliefs. So there's steps we can take. How do you do that? Well, how do we actually shift the age beliefs? Yeah, because it doesn't really matter what age you are. In other words, you could be 40, 50, 60, and if any of those age feel old in relationship to what you once knew, right? So how do you, or what are those steps? What's the methodology that you recommend that all of us sort of reframe our views and remove 
as much of the toxicity around aging as we possibly can. So have you figured that out? Yes, that's a good question. And in Breaking the Age Code, I present about 15 evidence-based tools that people of any age can immediately start to work on. I would say one of the most powerful ways of shifting age beliefs in a good place to start is to increase awareness. And so one method that I found particularly helpful for that is something I call age belief journaling. What that involves is for one week, writing down any portrayal of aging that you see in any activity that you're involved in. So it could be watching your favorite movie, uh, you know, streaming your favorite movie. It could be a television show. It could be reading a book, looking through a magazine. It could be overhearing a conversation in a coffee shop. So whenever you hear something said about an older person, what I suggest is to write it down and then also mark whether it's a positive portrayal or a negative portrayal. And then the second thing that I suggest as part of that is to also mark down whether older people are absent from something. So if you watch a television show and everybody in the show is 20 or younger, you know, write that down. There's nobody in that show that is an older person because we know that when older people are absent from different formats, that that exclusion is also a way to reinforce sort of marginalization of older people. And so what I suggest is that by the end of the week, look at how many positive portrayals and how many negative portrayals and how many omissions you encountered. And then with the negative examples, take a moment and think about, could there be a different portrayal of the older person? Is there a way that that person could have been portrayed in a a more positive light? Just that simple action of acknowledging and noticing age beliefs, I have found can really be a powerful way to start shifting to more positive age beliefs. Thank you. So just to pin something down that you hinted at, could you see America changing its posture on aging and moving closer to Japan's philosophy? Is that really possible in our lifetime? Yes, I think it is. <laughs> so I'm definitely hopeful in that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, that's something, you know, I think the hopeful message from my research is that these negative age beliefs are not set in stone. So we know from our research that we can actually shift the age beliefs. And we know from you know, doing experimental studies that we can shift people's age beliefs in a control environment. I've also found cross-culturally, looking at different cultures, that age beliefs can vary quite a bit. I've also seen historically large shifts in age beliefs. So there's a lot of evidence these age beliefs can be shifted. And if we have the motivation and inspiration, I think as a country, we could shift to more positive age beliefs. That's great. Well, again, we've given you the torch. So <laughs> everyone <laughs> listening has heard it. So you can't, you can't let us down. I do want to pin down, if you have the yin and yang of, you know, America and Japan in terms of our views, where does Great Britain and Europe and Canada and India fit in? Mm, So that's a good question. So I have found in my research, and I know in other people's research, that there tends to be some similarity in Western countries. So United States, Canada, and the UK tend to have similar types of age beliefs. India, on the other hand, there is some evidence that the age beliefs tend to look more like some of the positive age beliefs that we've observed in Japan and China. So they tend to have families that are very intergenerational that live together. And I have some, seen some studies that beliefs about aging are more positive in India. And in fact, that led to a research study. So I actually read that dementia is much less common in India than in the United States. I think it's five times more common in in the United States. Uh, And so that actually, that 
difference across cultures led me to try to understand whether age beliefs could be contributing to dementia risk. And we did find evidence that those who have more positive age beliefs have a significantly lower risk of developing dementia. Uh, That's a stunning piece of information, right? So, I mean, it really comes down to, as a man, think of, you know, what your beliefs are is impacting every cell in your body, apparently. The fact that dementia could be five times worse simply because you've got negative views of aging really is an incentive for people to refresh and, you know, reframe this. Five times, it's an astonishing number, don't you think? Yes. Well, in the study that we did, it was actually within the United States. So it was the observation across cultures that you know I saw this difference in dementia prevalence. So the hypothesis came from looking at different cultures. And so within the United States, we did also find this significant relationship between those who had more positive age beliefs and having a lower risk. But yes, I was surprised that that was such a strong finding. There was a skit on Saturday Night Live, which is a show in America, a comedy show, and they did a mock game show. And the name of the game show was essentially, am I losing my mind? And the joke was, you know, it's the game we're all playing at home. (laughs) And so this is a setup to ask you, what are some positive affirmations that we could use. So I can't find my keys. My association is, oh man, my memory's going. Like this is part of the aging process when in fact that's not necessarily true at all, right? So are there certain beliefs that could be the the antidote to this dementia trend and really all the other physicality benefits of thinking positively about aging? Are there certain beliefs that you found that you would like to teach people? Well, yes. So in the book, I present 14 common myths or negative beliefs about aging, which are countered by evidence that there are strengths that actually show that those negative age beliefs are not supported or actually false. But I think in the example that you just mentioned of losing keys and then thinking, oh, it's got to be due to aging or the Saturday Night Live comedy that you mentioned, I think one thing is to just kind of question when you feel like a negative age belief is coming up and just thinking, is that true? Does that apply to all people I know? Like, are there some older people I know that don't show that trend? And then I think also something that I have found in the research that seems to be important is to develop what I call a portfolio of positive images of aging. And and a diverse portfolio, I think in particular, is really helpful. And what that involves is trying to think about a set of older people that you admire, could be from your own family, could be from literature, could be from history, could be from current events. And with each person, think about a quality that you most admire that you would like to strengthen in yourself. And it could be very different qualities in the different people. So one person you could particularly admire their sense of humor and another person you could particularly admire their sense of justice. And so I think that portfolio is something that we can draw on in some of those situations where the negative age beliefs come up. I'm going to ask you, I was just eyeballing my heartbeat round questions I'll be asking you in a minute. I wanted to make sure that I I didn't actually anticipate this, but are there people in society, well-known people that you admire for the way that they're aging and the way they present themselves in aging? Does anybody come to mind? Yes. Well, in my life, my parents, I greatly admire and my grandparents. I mean, so I have some personal examples of people that have 
done wonderful things and you have wonderful qualities. So just in the examples when we were talking about it's like different people that have different qualities. So like RBG is somebody that, you know, mm-hmm. I think about is her sense of justice is something that I admire. There's also the founder of the Great Panthers, who is another person that I think of who has this great sense of justice. And she was one of the first people to start fighting for reducing ageism. So Yes, yeah, so there are some people that I greatly admire. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is a great example because I remember she had a physical trainer come to her house and she's doing weights and she worked all the way up until the end of her life, which is just extraordinary. So yes, exactly. it shows that vitality, you know, she wasn't going away. She wanted to be in the game as long as she possibly could. And I think that's very cool. So let's go back to ageism. One of the questions that I really wanted to ask you is, what would you say to a 25-year-old who wants nothing to do with having someone age 55 or older on their team? I have a big presence on Twitter, and whenever I bring up ageism, I kind of get the, please don't bring granddad onto my team. And it's disturbing, you know, because granddad's still working, and like, why are we marginalizing that guy? But it's, it goes to the myths that you were talking about earlier. But it, there also needs to be some understanding. So if you're counseling a 25-year-old and you're sitting in the, you know, in the coffee room and they said, you know, we got this guy, he's 55. I don't want him on my team. What would you say? Right. So I would tell them about some of the research that shows that Having older people on one's team can have great benefits to the team. So the team's probably going to be more productive and more innovative by bringing on older people into their team. And actually, so what you've been observing on Twitter, I mean, that's something that I've found in the classroom. So I, I teach mm. these bright young people in, in school public health where I work. And I often find at the beginning of the semester that the students either have negative portrayals or just or don't know about ageism. It tends to be a, a new topic for them. And I think part of that is because we live in such an age-segregated society and ageism is so felt into our society that it's hard to observe. But something that I've found is by the end of the semester, when students become more knowledgeable about older people and some of their strengths and you know how society operates with ageism, a lot of them become very aware of it and very angry about it and really want to find ways to reduce it and overcome it, you know, and they want to find ways to elevate older people in different ways. So yeah, so I think it's a teachable aspect of understanding the culture and understanding how we think about older people. So I think those younger people who have those beliefs could definitely change them and have benefits that come to them and to their teams. So education works. That's good. One thing that I've seen in my own career is that birds of a feather flock together. So from a leadership standpoint, how would you persuade a manager or what guidance would you give to managers who have a multiple age group team? So how do you make that team cohesive and not break out into people who are under 30, people who are 30 to 40, people who are 40 to 50, and so on? How do you keep those people together, work together, feel good about working with each other to reinforce what you just described? Right. So I think the research that has been done on group dynamics of different members of different generations or different subgroups that come together in a bigger group, I think the research finds that 
if members of the group are given a meaningful activity that brings them together around a common purpose, that often some of those differences that they started with when they join the group become much less important and they realize that there's a commonality of working together on a common goal in a meaningful way. So I, I think it happens naturally when people work together on a common, meaningful goal. And I think it allows people to focus more on the skills and their experiences that they naturally bring to that setting. Yeah, so I think kind of supporting and encouraging these intergenerational contacts can bring about ties in a lot of ways as people go forward. I like that. Something else that I wanted to dig into is in your book, and we talked about this earlier in my audience, we've been kind of weaving back and forth into your three key themes here. And I want to come back to this whole idea that negative associations with getting older, those age beliefs can steal, as you say, up to eight years of our lives. So what are the specific toxic views that you're talking about? And how do you know it affects our longevity to that extent, because that's, you know, 10% of our lifespan for an average person. Mm, mm. Yes. So yeah, it is quite striking. So some of the negative age beliefs, I mean, perhaps one of the most common that comes up, you know, when I survey people about their beliefs about aging, one of the most common negative ones that comes up is that all older people's cognition declines in later life. And what we know from the science is that just isn't true. We know that there are you know, many different types of memory and some of them tend to stay the same. So procedural memory or the ability to like learn how to ride a bike stays the same. Other types of memories seem to, or cognition seem to improve in later life. So for example, the ability to solve conflicts seems to improve in later life. Metacognition or thinking about thinking tends to improve in later life. And I know from our studies that even some of the types of cognition that are thought to decline in later life, if we strengthen, activate positive age beliefs, those types of memory can improve in older people. So there's a lot of evidence that some of the negative age stereotypes are just simply wrong. And yes, so there is the science to support that. As far as the second question you were asking about how those beliefs lead to the longevity differences. Yeah. In your book specifically, you say that our age beliefs determine the kind and amount of stressors that make it through our bodies and psyches. So our beliefs inherently translate into a stressor if they're negative, and that negatively impacts our bodies and our minds. And so I guess my question is, how should we use that knowledge to our own benefit? How do we reverse the thinking? Right, right. So yes, you bring up a really good point. And so uh, about stress as being part of the mechanism. So in my research, I've looked at a couple of mechanisms that might be involved in how these age beliefs of our culture that we take in can actually impact our physiology and our lifespan and these different kinds of health outcomes. And so we know that age beliefs operate as almost a lens that can impact different kinds of 
mechanisms. So one is psychological mechanisms, such as how much self-efficacy somebody feels or how empowered somebody feels. We also know that somebody has more positive age beliefs that they have lower stress levels as they get older. So on a physiological level, and then also we know that people who take in more positive age beliefs tend to have better health behaviors. So they tend to exercise more and eat better. So there are these different levels of mechanisms that operate that can impact health and longevity. So because, though, I think one of the hopeful messages of my research is that because age beliefs act as what is called an upstream factor or can impact all of these factors that are downstream that influence our health, if we can shift our age beliefs to become more positive, if we can strengthen our positive age beliefs, that in turn can have positive benefits in all of these areas that could lead to health benefits in a number of different areas. So in cognitive health and physical health. You can't have positive beliefs about aging, not transfer into positive beliefs about other aspects of your life. So there's this overlap is kind of what I'm saying. So the foundational idea is what you think is what you manifest. That's what you create. So if you have negative associations and you're reinforcing those associations about being old and having old be negative, you're going to create the circumstances that are going to create disease and ill health and mind breakdown and all of that. That's your belief. I want to make sure that I'm understanding correctly. Yes, right. So it can happen either direction. So having these negative age beliefs from one's culture can impact a whole range of outcomes. And then the inverse of that is true as well, is taking in more positive age beliefs also have benefits on a wide range of outcomes. But you also believe that any positive beliefs about oneself are going to translate into better outcomes. Is that true? So it's not just about aging. It just so happens that your focus is on aging. Well, so yeah, in my research, I focus on age beliefs and I actually try to isolate the age beliefs. So in the studies I conduct, I tend to look at above and beyond a general positive outlook do positive age beliefs have a benefit? It's actually something specific about these age beliefs that we take in from our culture that are having the benefit for people. So it's not just a general sense of optimism. It's actually very specific to these images of aging that we take in from our culture. Very good. Thank you. Something else that you said, Becca, is to surprise me, is that mental illness is less common in older people compared to younger people. I think I kind of know why, but I wanted to hear from you. Yeah, so that's a really interesting finding. So I think a common negative age belief is that forms of mental illness increase in later life. So I think a common belief is that depression increases in later life and anxiety increases in later life. And in fact, many studies show that the prevalence of mental challenges actually go down in later life. And yeah, so the reason for that maybe there's some skills that I think tend to increase in later life that give people an advantage in mental health, which include there's a tendency to improve one's ability to review one's life. So life review skills tend to improve in later life, tendency to solve conflicts tends to improve in later life, the tendency to 
something called emotional regulation tends to increase in later life or it's a you know, form of an emotional intelligence. So there are a number of skills that often do improve in later life that give people the skills to it can improve their mental health directly, or it also can make them really good candidates for therapy and you know taking care of challenges and things that are going on in their lives. Yeah, so I think that research is really important and we're understanding more and more as we go forward. Those are so profoundly positive. It makes me wonder whether you advocate, you know, this is a leadership podcast, so I'm thinking of it in that context. And as I'm listening to you with all those positive things, and also in an environment where we know mental health is severely challenged in society right now, particularly after two years of a pandemic. So in workplaces, would organizations be wise to sort of tap some of their older workers that have demonstrated wisdom and maturity to kind of help mentor younger workers, particularly around these issues? Yes, definitely. And actually, one of the favorite things I learned about in writing the book was a group in Zimbabwe of grandmothers who are actually actively working towards improving mental health in their country. And they do this with something called the friendship bench model. So these grandmothers will come to the friendship bench and they'll schedule different people who are having mental health challenges to meet them at the bench. And they interact with them, find out what their problems are, really listen. They give them a chance to tell their story. They'll share their own stories. And it's found that this intervention has significantly improved the mental health of people in their community. It's also great because it's elevated the grandmothers. So they started off in a culture that respected them and they're given even more respect in this culture. And it has been this back and forth of a culture that values the older people and the older people contributing to society, which further improves beliefs about aging. And that in turn has actually improved the grandmother's health. So there was a recent study that shows that their health has greatly improved by being mm -hmm. part of this. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so exactly what you're talking about, I think in the workplace, there could be a great role for some of the older workers potentially to bring something like this friendship bench model into the workplace, especially, as you said, with all of the stress and challenges that people have been having during the pandemic in the workplace. I remember early in my career, my office was right outside my boss's office. And what separated us was her assistant. It's really not important what I was experiencing, but, you know, just normal life angst at 25 years old and was, you know, going through some experiences. And and I had this conversation with this woman. Her name is Olga. And I think I just dumped it on her. You know, it's like, this is what I'm feeling. And she had this like, where did you get this wisdom from? Like, how did you possibly know what I was feeling and then give me the right piece of advice in that moment? And I've never forgotten it. I've always thought, you know, because as you get older and you have more life experiences, if you've been paying attention, you have more wisdom to share. And that's what she was doing for me. She was sharing her own life experience applied to mine. And so I just think right now, it would also be this really cool way of reintegrating older, I hate to use that term, but, you know, theoretically older workers and give them more of the respect and reverence that, you know, treat them like rock stars if they're offering advice to people that you wouldn't otherwise be able to get from your peer because they don't have any experience either. Yeah, I love that story about Olga. That's perfect. And so, yeah, I think you're totally right that 
there could be this really important role for older workers to benefit their workplace and also they would be benefiting from it as well. So yes, I think that that's a great story and a great example that hopefully we can see more of in the workplace. Well, thank you. You have to put that in your banner, right? <laughs> We've already given yes. you the assignment. So Becca, I'm kidding. <laughs> Everyone, let's take a very quick break here, and we're going to return with the heartbeat round. A quick reminder that Mitel Networks is this podcast's sole sponsor because it fully embraces our message of empathy, compassion, and caring as a means to elevating workplace leadership all around the world. Mitel also loves the upcoming heartbeat round segment and invites you to learn more about them at mitel.com forward slash mark. Becca, if you've heard any of our previous podcasts, you know that we take a break around this point in the discussion and we move into what we call cleverly the heartbeat round. I have about a dozen or more personal questions I'd like to ask you, but with these, your goal is to answer them quickly, instinctively, in other words, in a heartbeat. Are you game? Yes, I'm game. All right, cool. Here we go. Most useful way for all of us to think about death. That it is a natural part of the life cycle. Prediction about the future, you're pretty certain will come true. That if we take on positive age beliefs, that it will bring about benefits for ourselves and also for society. A book you wish all of us would read? Well, I would say Break the Age Code. (laughs) But also a book that has greatly inspired me is Robert Butler's book, Longevity Revolution. We haven't heard that one yet. That's great. The cultural value every organization should have. I would say inclusion and equity based on many factors, including age. Trait you admire most in other people? I would say empathy, emotional intelligence. Let me spin it the other way. What's the trait you admire least in other people? Uh, uh, I would say selfishness. I don't know. I had a feeling you were going to say that. (laughs) Your synonym for the word heart. Hmm. Center of the soul. Something you think we all need to do at least once in our life. Work with others to bring about social justice or a more just society, including an age just society. Positive affirmation you use when thinking about aging. A positive affirmation, one would be to draw on a portfolio of positive images of aging and, yeah, think about somebody that you really admire in different situations. Do you have the language? Like, what would you say to yourself? I would say, think about my grandma Horty, who had a great way of encountering this situation. So, yeah, I would think about a real specific person, I think. The most underestimated and undervalued leadership practice of all? Humor. The quality that derails the most leadership careers? I would say lack of emotional intelligence. A lesson you wish you'd learned earlier in your life? Hmm, that kale tastes good. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I had this discussion about asparagus with one of your colleagues recently, so that's funny. One subject you encourage people to bone up on? The many benefits of strengthening positive age beliefs and celebrating aging. Terrific. Thank you for going through this with me. And by the way, center of the soul has never come up before about the heart. So that's um, that's one that we're all going to be thinking about. So thanks for going through that with me, Becca. Yeah, thank you so much. That was fun. You know, before you go, I guess the question I'd like to ask at the end of this conversation is, 
is really the most essential one, which is how do we shift from an age-declining mindset to an age-thriving one? And then since you've sort of touched on that a little bit, I'll add in, is there anything else that you'd like to leave us with, you know, thinking about after you go, after the podcast is over, that's in your book or maybe not even in your book that you want to make sure that the audience gets a chance to hear? Yeah, those are great questions. So just starting off, how do we switch from each declining to each thriving mindset? So that is something that was one of my goals to present in Breaking the Age Code. And we talked about one of the tools, the age belief journaling. In the book, I actually present this evidence-based set of tools that I call the ABC method, which has three parts to it. The first is to increase our awareness of these age beliefs that often operate without our awareness. They often operate implicitly. So the first Mm -hmm. step is to make those visible. And that involves becoming more aware of our own age beliefs, and then also more aware of the age beliefs around us, doing something like the age belief journaling that we talked about earlier. The second stage is for B is shifting blame. So that's the idea of not immediately blaming older people or aging for challenges, but to take a step back and think about could there be a societal factor, an external factor that's contributing to that challenge. And that's something that we can do by looking at different situations as they come up. And then the third stage of this ABC method is challenging. So finding ways to challenge the negative age beliefs when they come up in different scenarios, and then also finding ways to strengthen the positive age beliefs as we talked about. And also another way to become more aware of age beliefs is actually, I I just set up a website that has a quiz on it that people can take if they're interested. So it's the website is my name, becca-levy.com. And one of the things that is there is a image of aging quiz, a short quiz that people can take. And it tells you how your response to the questions compared to many Americans that have taken that same quiz at different times. And so that can kind of give you a sense of where you're starting in the process. But again, wherever you are starting the process, you know, we all can shift our age beliefs from some of the negative messages that we might have encountered in younger life to a more positive age belief. Thank you. That was wonderful. And I'm going to go on your website and do that. And hopefully (laughs) after this, I've been influenced significantly not to come out on the wrong side of this, but (laughs) thank you very, very much. On behalf of my audience, thank you so very much, Becca. And the name of your book is Breaking the Age Code. I have it right in front of me. How your beliefs about aging determine how long and well you live. I think that's a great incentive program, the way you title this. (laughs) It gets right to it. If you want to live long, think more positively about aging. I just love that. So thank you so very much. Thank you so much, Mark. It's been wonderful to talk with you. You too. Very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. As we say goodbye, I want to thank whomever wrote the most recent review of the Lead from the Heart podcast on Apple's podcast site. All I can say is what you wrote is so profoundly appreciated that I needed to make sure that you heard that from me. Meanwhile, I hope all of you will continue to recommend our show to your friends and colleagues and even write your own review as well. I want to thank the BBC Big Band Orchestra for performing our theme music, Take the A-Train by Billy Strayhorn. Not to mention my wonderful team, including Ken Boynton, Susan DeRoche, Randy Yant, and my producer, Eric Oz. And I, of course, leave you with my two constant reminders. 
When you lead from the heart, your people will follow. And speaking of your people, love them. Love your people. This is Mark C. Crowley thanking you for listening and signing off for now. Thank you.